forgot my Bible, but I've got my Bible over here, so that's okay. We're happy to have Brother Frank Tart Frank? Yeah, Tottingham visiting. He's a pastor in Australia. And brother, would you come and give a few words about what's going on there, what you're doing, and so on? And I, I appreciate seeing you again. And we have lunch date tomorrow, so that's a reminder for myself too. I'm looking forward to doing that. But uh, we'd like to hear about people watching by video too, so they get to hear you. Okay. Yes, so my name is uh, Frank Tottingham, and I met your pastor, I believe, in 1991 when uh, they were visiting family in North Carolina, where I was stationed for a couple of years, and then met them again here in Hawaii when we came out to visit um, some friends of ours, um, Brother Russell Smith and his wife. So I know I got saved when I was a, a young boy in, well, I first heard the gospel in Sunday school. I was about four years old, and our Sunday school teacher, she was actually a Filipina and I'm married to a U.S. serviceman. And I remember the, the Sunday school story. She held up a black heart, and she held up a white heart, and then in the middle she held up a red heart. And she said the only way to get our sins forgiven and to get them washed away is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I never forgot that. Um, of course, I went to my parents with questions and, you know, wanted to be saved, and, and they just answered my questions from the Bible, show me some scriptures, and then send me away to think about it. And uh, finally, after several months, I just knew I needed to be saved and I understood the gospel and I asked the Lord to save me. And I praise the Lord for that. Now, I mean, as a young boy growing up in church, I had different doubts at times and I'd just take them to the Lord or, or I'd ask my parents and they'd send me a way to, to think about it. And uh, one lesson the Lord really taught me is that, you know, it's something that has not changed in all my Christian life. You know, there'd be something I'd be struggling with, you know, a teacher at school or something, and I'd have a bad attitude. And I realized it was easier just to think I was not saved and that I needed to get saved, you know. And I'd make a profession. And then the Lord just taught me I was like Moses. It was easier just to strike the rock again rather than actually accept that the Lord could save me and he could keep me. And I just needed to repent of my sin and get, a, get my attitude straight and stop having a bad attitude. So um, the Lord is very good. Uh, I did all my training in my local church there in South Dakota. Um, I spent four years in the Marines, and during that time I met my wife in Australia. I wasn't um, stationed there or anything. We had friends um, who were pastoring in Australia, missionaries in Australia, so I went to visit them. I met my wife, and um, two years later got out of the Marines, moved to Australia, got married, and have been there now for 30 years in January. So I um, pastor a church there in the capital city of Australia, uh, Canberra, and uh, we have uh, 17 members. And on Sunday morning, we get about 35, 40 people. So our members are always outnumbered. And as a very Australian thing, we have morning tea after the service. So we have, you know, the ladies just bring um, cookies or a slice or, or whatever. We have coffee and tea facilities kind of like you have here. And uh, it's very important for our church. And that's when we do a lot of witnessing to all these visitors. Uh, we have fellowship. Of course, we do counseling and all that sort of thing. And even during COVID, uh, which we were only shut down a few times. But I was able to get a hold of the health department and say, look, that's, our morning tea is very important for our church. It's part of our worship and, and all of that. And they said, that's fine. You do it. Just, you know, uh, you know, make sure you're sitting down if you're eating. And you can take your masks off. Um, but if you're not eating or you're standing, put your masks on. So we, we sat down and we ate, you know, after the service for like an hour. And we had a wonderful time. <laughs> but uh, the Lord is very good. The Lord has uh, provided for us. And um, we're very, very blessed. But it's, it's nice to be back here. Uh, Wednesday evening service is very much like this. People just get in here from wherever, and they sit down, uh, they sing some songs, 
and uh, share some prayer requests and we just know that we're with the Lord and we enjoy his presence so thank you for um, you know letting me be here and chat for a little bit looking forward to having lunch with your pastor I didn't tell him I was a pastor or anything like that when I emailed him um, because I just didn't feel like I wanted to but I thought if the pastor wants to go out for lunch absolutely uh, we need the fellowship we all need the fellowship so and I came by and I did a little reconnaissance yesterday of your facility here I came upstairs and stole all your tracks I left two of each and uh, I've been handing them out um, so it's been good I took a I took a photo um, of your church building and sent it to my family just before church of the sign downstairs <laughs> the neon sign <laughs> I said no I said no their rooms are upstairs so, uh, praise the Lord no different with us sometimes we go in on a Sunday morning and the hall we rent um, everyone uses it and sometimes they've had a you know a party in there and, and it's a mess but uh, we thank the Lord he provides a place because the church is in a building Amen. the church is the people right. Right. praise God Amen. thank the Lord I like your shoes Yes, amen. Sneakers. I know you wear sneakers to yeah. church. Yeah. Oh, oh, you do. I do, yes. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you for that testimony. That's a blessing. That's encouraging. I'm sorry my shirt isn't Hawaiian. It's actually either Fijian or Tonga. I can't remember. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Well, when I saw you, I said, wow, you got a Hawaiian shirt already. Yeah, that's good. All right, well, I, I, I appreciate his good testimony. Come on in. It's good spirit about him. I like that. That's a blessing. All right. Let's go over to the book of Hebrews again and also Proverbs chapter 13. I'm continuing about learning from old men from that generation. Last week it was about John Plowman, of course, written by uh, Charles Spurgeon and uh, written to, to common man. And so I'm going to switch gears to go to another man who was also very um, good with words and very down to earth. And he was, though, from America, born in Hickory, North Carolina. Hickory, North Carolina, 1901 to 1986. Let's look at our scriptures for this series for this month. Hebrews 11, 4, He being dead, yet speaketh. And of course, we learn a lot from Mr. Spurgeon and his witty way of expressing things and talking and reaching and communicating to the common man. And then in Proverbs 13, verse number 20, He that walk with wise men shall be wise. And we do want to have wise uh, men to uh, look up to and follow, and we want to be wiser too. As we grow in the Lord. And so uh, tonight we have another man to look at to gain some wisdom from his life and his ministry. And so um, it's good to have books, isn't it? Books allow us to visit with other people from another time, even from contemporaries. But uh, Spurgeon's a favorite to learn from. And also tonight, Vance Abner is his name. Vance Abner. Vance Abner. Uh, if you saw a picture of Vance Abner, he always looks pretty thin. One day someone says, uh, Have you eaten yet? He says, no, but it looked like I haven't been eaten at all. <laughs> he was just a very thin man, but a good man. A native of Hickory, North Carolina. She had this young man, preached his first outdoor sermon at age 14. He had formal training in Bible school in different schools in North Carolina and other places. But he faithfully served his Lord for 52 years. A background about him before I give you some of his good quotes. 52 years in the ministry, 29 years as an evangelist. And um, formal training, as I say. But he was also known to be a man who was self-taught. Self-taught. If he wasn't preaching, it says about him, he was reading the Bible and other books. I think the other week I mentioned about the value of reading. And here's another man who spent his time wisely 
Besides resting and sleeping, eating, sleeping and eating, resting, eating and sleeping, he spent time reading, reading the Bible, reading other books. He learned a lot by that. And so pretty much people thought he was self-taught, but um, Habner read a lot of Spurgeon sermons, read a lot of Spurgeon's devotionals. He was impressed by his common sense, his approach to conveying truth in a very simple way to simple people. He was very educated, very thorough, Spurgeon was, but he also tried real hard to reach the common man, the cobbler, the shoe cobbler, uh, people who lived on, down in the streets and common people. And he had a love for them. And Hatner became famous uh, for him being a country preacher. That's what he was known for, being very, very down to earth. And he wasn't trying to copy Spurgeon or mimic him, but he appreciated Spurgeon's approach to teaching deep things in a very simple way. After all, he gathered people around him to give them the truth. He went on to receive the truth. As another man of our time who is now in heaven, I believe it was Jabron McGee says, uh, he, he didn't put things up on the higher shelf because people are not giraffes, but he put things on the low shelf for people to get it. And that's how this man that I really enjoy reading his books, uh, Van Sabner, that's how he approached the ministry. Here's a quote um, about how he thinks about dispensing the word of God, teaching the word of God. He says, quote, I may not know who the 666 is. I will leave that to the prophecy boys, but I do know that the word is sick, sick, sick. <laughs> now think about that. That is so simple yet so profound. I don't know who the 666 is, and people for generations have tried to figure out who, back in my time in the 70s, um, as a young Christian, people thought it was Henry Kissinger. Well, everybody was a target, but uh, the speculation about who the Antichrist would be and so on, but he does say this, the world, I know this, the world six. And what a good way of expressing what is the important thing in life. Making things simple from God's word so that people can understand their need and come to Christ. And so his doctor of style of preaching and writing made sense to a lot of people, uh, common people, the working class people, even the lower middle class people. Uh, today, the Democrats call this lower middle class people as the basket of deplorables. Well, Vance Havner, if he was living today, would say, I am here for those basket of deplorables. I want to reach them with the gospel. I'm not here to judge them in a sense of uh, being harsh with them. I'm going to give them the truth. I want to respond to the gospel. He wanted people to get saved. And so like Spurgeon, he loved the people and he preached and taught in their language so they could understand the truth. Now, having said that, I want you to know that he didn't get into the gutter and use gutter language uh, any more than Spurgeon would not ever do that. But uh, he, he made it a point to stoop down and communicate to the child and to the hardworking man so they could see in their mind concepts and see truth. They could understand that um, this is what the Bible is about, this is what the gospel is about. He didn't make it difficult for them. He made it simple for them. And people may have criticized Mr. Habner for being uh, too simplistic, but um, I, I don't know. A lot of people like his writings and his quotes and his sayings, and I like it, maybe because I'm simple too. But you can be very educated, and it can be a detriment to people because you talk way up in the clouds, and people live in the ground. And so people need to understand the truth. So knowing the truth, but then also having the ability to give people the truth is a real gift. And so he did not bring, as someone said, condemnation, but conviction. Now that is to say, he taught the truth, but it was not ever condescending to people. He never put people down. He gave them the truth, demanded a lot from them, but it was all biblical. It was all in love. He did speak the truth in love. 
and people who heard him never forgot him. They may not like what he said, but they can appreciate that he gave them the truth in the right way, in a very humble way, and they saw his heart portrayed in his words and in his preaching. One man said of Habner, I don't know who the man is. I would like to quote who the man is, but I don't know. Quote, Old Vance, Old Vance, someone who probably knew him, Old Vance, Old Vance was one half Charles Spurgeon, the other half Billy Sunday, with the voice of Will Rogers. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. That's to say he was very deep in his theology. Spurgeon had the fire of a Billy Sunday, but he spoke very calmly and on the porch life like a Will Rogers. And that's a good thing to learn. That's a good thing to learn. Most people like it um, when you don't speak down to them. Most people appreciate you talk to them as if they are valuable and people like it when you talk to them with respect. There are people online, there are people in my world and probably in yours perhaps, you maybe seen them, maybe uh, know some of these people. They're very harsh, they're very firm, they say, they say and, um, they're very biblical, they're very right and they could be right on some things but they also have an attitude about them where people get, quote, turned off. That's a hippie generation jargon. They get turned off by the harshness of the, the words that people use in the name of truth. And so I always mention Stephen Anderson because he is the epitome of someone who may have the truth, but he is very harsh in how he gives out the truth. And so people are uh, re repelled or they are repulsed by his um, delivery and his attitude about things that are, the issue may be, okay, that's sinful, that's wrong, but he comes across in such a way that uh, it's like, oh man, is this Christianity? Is this, is this what Jesus is about? You know, just uh, nail them to the ground and pound them to the ground and just step on them and, you know, well, you know, um, I guess people think that's the right way of doing it, but for someone like Dan Sabner, our topic for tonight, our man of the hour, <laughs> Van Sabner had an approach where he just felt like he wanted to communicate without watering down the gospel and give it to people so they could understand what he's saying, so they could make a sane, logical, reasonable, intellectual, emotional decision of the will for Jesus Christ. And so uh, he never tried to next version, but he was greatly influenced by him, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being influenced by good men and by good books so that you can sharpen yourself, be sharpened, iron sharpened, sharpened iron. And uh, Proverbs 13, 20 tells us again, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, shall be wise. And we want to be wiser today than we were last week. And so the context of his ministry, Mr. Habit's ministry, is that though he preached at age 14, he did go to a former Bible school and learn and get some of the theology down. But um, his ministry was, uh, just around First World War into the 20s into that decade of the 20s and the 20s were known by a term the 20s after World War I was over 14, 1914 to 1918 around there uh, things changed economy was booming industry the second industrial revolution was going on and uh, people were getting money people were working they were earning uh, they were becoming prosperous. Many other things came along prosperity. Uh, the, the car became very normal. Radio became very normal. Electricity became very normal. At one time, let me write, I wrote it down here. One time, 
uh, I think it was um, 19 oh whatever it was but by 19 by 1929 20, by 63% of homes had electricity which was a good thing which meant people could do things at night more than just in daytime so you have the car you have money strong strong economy and then you have lights at night all good things but you know life the cycle of life for every good thing there's a potential of a downfall so you had people who just got out of that first world war and now you have the ability to earn income ability to buy a home the ability to travel the ability to have things brought into your home by radio and then you had you had movie houses come up in cities and in some suburbs and people were able to drive to places that you know out of town drive into the cities the nightlife became an important thing and do you know in the context of his preaching that people began to frequent uh, movie houses uh, I think the stat statistics are that by a certain year 19, uh, 1932 uh, it was like 80% of Americans would go to movies because they had the ability to, to travel and to, to pay for the tickets and so on. And then you had uh, other places that people would go to and uh, entertainment became a very big thing. And so his motive for preaching was of course to address the ills of his society. And in the Old Testament, prophets addressed issues of the day for Israel in relationship to other nations and so on. There was a lot of warning, a lot of rebuking, a lot of calls to repentance. And Mr. Havner was in a time in which uh, he felt compelled to preach against social things. And those social things were things that he should have preached about. Where he living today, he preached about the same things that he would see today. He would preach against wokeness today. He would preach about how evil that is. He preached about all of these things that have turned upside down. Right is wrong and wrong is right. Things like he would preach about that where he lived in today. And we should too, but with the right spirit. And so he says uh, this about the social gospel. He was really opposed to the social gospel. The social gospel, uh, behave and be good and uh, without being born again. Reformation, turn over a new leaf. And so he was against that. He said this, quote, If we give people soap and uh, soup, soup and soap, soup and soap, they'll be fuller and cleaner but on their way to hell still which is very true and then he says that um, the social gospel is very weak it does not do enough he says if the prodigal if the social gospel in the days of the prodigal son were around somebody would have given him a bed and a sandwich and he never would have gone home now think about that that's pretty wise that's pretty insightful if the social gospel is around for the part of his son, some would have told him, uh, just, we love you, and uh, you're okay, you just down and out. And they would have given him a bed, make him comfortable, a sandwich, fill his belly, and he would be comfortable, and he would never feel the need to go back home. But do you know sometimes when you are down and out, it makes you look up? Do you know sometimes when you've lost everything, it forces you to look up? And the Bible does say in Psalm 121, 122, 123, around that area, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help, my helmet cometh my help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And so when people are down, they are forced to look up. When people are very hungry, they're forced to beg God for help. 
when people don't have any way of, of overcoming a, a tragedy or overcoming a hardship, they have to turn to someone they may not want to turn to, and that's God. So tragedy sometimes, as awful as it can be, sometimes it turns out to be a good thing. because It causes the person to realize he cannot do it himself, a friend cannot do it, the government can't do it. If God don't help me, I'm not going to get help. So the prodigal son, if he applied that, uh, the prodigal son would not have repented. By the way, you remember the story of the prodigal son? There are some key things that I want you to see at now, right now. Turn to Luke chapter 15 for just one minute. Luke chapter 15. If that was social gospel in the days of the prodigal son, somebody would have given him a bed and a sandwich and he never would have gone home. However, we know what happened in this story. Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. And he said, the Lord said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of goods that follow, follow to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with righteous living. By the way, this far country, wherever it was, was in the boy's mind way before he actually took off physically to get to that place. He thought about it, he dwelt upon that, and he meditated upon that, and pretty soon he wanted to go there, and he finally made arrangements so he could go there. In verse number 14, when he had spent all, well, I wonder why he spent all. Probably because he was young, and probably because his sole frame of mind was he wanted to go and enjoy his life and not be stuck in, in, the, in his father's house. And uh, he spent all, which would be the natural way of things to go for a boy who is without any self-control. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. Didn't expect that, but it happened. He began to be in want, began to get hungry, began to, his friends abandoned him. They weren't really his friends. Verse 15, and he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country. He was forced to. He sent him unto his fields to feed swine. Didn't want to do that. Verse 16, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He's down and out. He is really down and out. Verse 17, when he came to himself, well, why did he come to himself is the question here. Why did this young man who had everything just a little while ago, now he's got nothing. He's all alone and of all things, this Jewish boy among hogs and eating, oh, this is a horrible scene. But it's not so horrible because it causes him to do some self evaluation self-examination and when he came to himself he came to himself because he was hungry he was dirty he was filthy he was living with the animals he was acting like an animal he had nothing and that nothing was really something because verse 17 says how many hired servants of my father's uh fathers have bread enough and to spare and i ate i perish with hunger then he says in verse 18 i will arise and go to my father but he would not have arisen to go to his father. Wouldn't have the desire if he was comfortable. So, Ben Samuel is making a real strong point here, and I appreciate how he has worded it. And then he, um, uh, the prodigal son did, of course, go back home. We know what happened from the scriptures. And so, uh, you want to remember that um, Ben Samuel, when he said something, he wasted no words. He was really clear and plain. Even the most simplest of people, the farmer, uh, the shoe, uh, you know, I mean, anybody can do it. For us, it would be uh, the McDonald's worker, the fast food worker, and those who work in the 
the service industry, at the hotels, and those who are bellmen and things like that, regular people, regular people, and so they can get that. Now, here's some great quotes I want to pass them to you on two points, just two points. Uh, I have compiled over the years many of his quotes from different sources. I have several of Van uh, Sabrina's books, devotional books, and sermons. It's just really always edifying, and uh, you read them, you never get tired of them. Some things you read, you say, okay, yeah, old new news. But his stuff always seems to be very relevant, very up to speed, up to date. Uh, the purpose of the church. Quotes on the purpose of the church. This is interesting for us. Number one, his first quote about the church, he says, The church is a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. Wow, that's really good, isn't it? The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So the local church is to be uh, a church that preaches the gospel, reaches out to the lost, uh, we are to accept people when they come in as they are so that they can hear the gospel. We are to love people, be gracious to people, and not criticize them, put them down unnecessarily because they look different from us. Now, there are exceptions, of course, but what I think he is saying is like a hospital receives the wounded so that they can be treated, get well, and go back home. The church is supposed to be like that, like a hospital, a spiritual hospital. Let the people come in, welcome them in, invite them to come in, and be gracious to them. You ever go to a doctor and the doctor's really nice to you? you ever go, don't you love going to a dentist? Ah, the dentist, such a good guy to go to, I love the dentist. And then the dentist takes the x-rays, he says, okay, you need the root canal. Don't you love when the dentist says you need a root canal? Don't you love those words, root canal? Shows you the x-ray. Well, of course, you're going to believe him. You need a root canal. Don't you love when he says you need a root canal? And, uh, but the doctor is so nice about things. He explains us so well. explains why. And if you don't, this, but you do this, it's going to be great. And he's just so gentle, so kind. I, this is a personal experience of mine. Went to a, a dentist, took an x-ray, said, oh, you need a root canal. He says, well, since you're here, <laughs> it was for an exam, a six-month exam. Assignment. Since you're here, I say, why? Since I'm here, why? He says, well, this is what I see. You need a root canal. Uh, I've got time. We can do it if you want to. i just give you a couple more shots, you know. And, and then uh, he says, there's a monitor right here. You can watch exactly what I'm doing. I said, so I can watch what you're doing to me. He says, yeah, you can do that. And I said, is there an option to listen to the radio? I said, I'll listen to the radio instead. I don't want to see what you're doing to me. But he was so nice about it. His assistance was so good. They were so gentle with me. Now, sometimes I can appear to be nothing moved me. When it comes to the dentist, uh, it moves me. Mm -hmm. And so, but when he was, everyone was so gracious, so kind. Uh, I felt no pain. I felt the pressure. I felt the pulling, all those kind of things. But I felt no pain. And I was assured that he would be all right. He was so good. He gave him the truth in love. He spoke to me in love. He knew my apprehension, my fear even. And I told him so. And so he addressed that. He was very good to me. And I'm glad that I went and got that dealt with. So the church should be like that, where we are, we receive people, not that we tolerate what they do that's wrong. We may never know what they do is wrong. We don't know about their life when they, you know, before they came to the church. I'm just glad that they came, that they will hear the truth when they come. And we should all realize that when a stranger comes to church, they have certain kinds of uh, hesitations. I would if I'm in a strange place. And I would like someone to respect me and treat me a little bit kindly when I come. First of all, show me where the coffee donuts are. Take me there. After that, let me have a comfortable seat. And then, you know, uh, don't make me stand up and say who I am. 
Uh, don't point me out. Recognize me as a visitor here today. We're glad that you're well, Thank you for letting me know generically. I like that. But I see it, and I would like you to welcome, and I would listen better, I think, if I'm not, um, if I'm not approaching a way where I am the focus of everything. I like to just sit there and be among the people and listen in and uh, digest things. I would like that, and I think most visitors like that too. And so the church is to preach the gospel, expose sinners to the need for Christ, and make them feel as much as humanly possible in a right way, in the right way, uh, that they are among people that do care for them, even though they are a stranger. Uh, this is a little bit different from um, not trying to give people the gospel and letting them remain in that condition. We're not giving a social gospel. We're trying to get them to receive the gospel without compromising anything. But uh, I do for myself, and I hope for you too, I hope you understand that people need, when they come to a strange place, they've come for a reason either by an invitation by a friend or some other reason, but they made the effort to come and they should not be antagonized when they come. Now, if the gospel antagonized them, well, Vance Havner himself says about preaching, he says, my job is to um, about the afflict the comforted and comfort the afflicted. <laughs> well, I understand what he means, but we cannot be being harsh with people unnecessarily. That's not necessary, that's not needed. That's not the focus. And so, uh, fellowship, fellowship is healthy and necessary in the church, but uh, not at the expense of reaching the gospel. We should not get so comfortable with one another that we neglect the outsiders, the lost. We are a hospital for those who are sick in sin. Now the people of the church, here's another thing it says about the people of the church. First, the church, the people of the church. Here's a quote. Most church members live so far below the standard, he means the Bible, you would have to backslide to be in fellowship with them. And that's really, that's really convicting. Uh, remember, church members in his day had just come out of uh, the First World War, began to go to work, and they began to get prosperous, and he began to preach full-time in the 20s, and a lot of good things were happening. And because of that, people became less dependent on God and more dependent upon the pocketbook. Because they had some prosperity now, they began to become comfortable. They began to feel like they are self-sufficient now. Every day they got a job to wake up to go to. Um, things are nice, they were to buy things, they have to go places, they had uh, uh, money to save and money to invest and so on. And so, um, to Vance Hamner, after World War I, prayers and dependence on God had decreased. A lot of his quotes, I seem to realize that a lot of his quotes were focused on people at that time in which they, once upon a time, not very long ago, when there's a war going on, people are on their knees praying. And before they prayed for the meals even, they would pray a little bit longer for those troops that they knew or didn't know that were overseas. God could protect them. And so uh, he addressed a lot of that. And so some of the quotes I give to you is in that context. Uh, here's one. We may never be martyrs, but we can be. Uh, we can never be martyrs, but we can die to self, to sin, and to the world, to our plans and to our ambitions. Well, in a lot of the 20s that he was preaching through, that makes sense to me, because he saw that in churches. Another one. A Christian is not a citizen of earth trying to make it to heaven, but a citizen of heaven trying to make it through this world. 
And there's a big difference there. And so he is separating, uh, again, uh, dividing from the social gospel, being the best that you can, being religious, and um, the scales, balancing your favorite kind of thing. So he addressed that as well. Because churches were preaching that kind of stuff. And people were being, people naturally would uh, respect the man of the cloth. And so whatever he said from the podium, pulpit, would be the gospel. Because he used the Bible. And so people would believe that they had to uh, outweigh their good, outweigh the bad by their good, without a born again experience, without repenting of sin. A sheep, uh, I like this one, it's very graphic in my head. A sheep may fall in the mud hole, but it's not content to stay there. A hog is at home in a mud hole. Okay, now isn't that graphic? Can't you see that in your mind? A sheep may fall into a mud hole, but it's not happy, content to stay there. A hog is at home in a mud hole. Why is that true? And the farmer could understand that. He says, mm -hmm, sure enough, I've got that. See, they got that. And uh, there was a man who was a professor of uh, Hebrew uh, in uh, Bob Jones University. And he looked out his window one day and he looked down there on the sidewalk. He saw a young uh, teenager or someone about a young person giving out a track to somebody. And the person actually stopped and they were having a conversation. He could not hear, but he saw it from his window. And then he turned and he says, oh, I wish I could do that. Now there's a man there, a student, going to have a meeting with him. And so he did say that to this man. So that's how it was recorded. He says, I wish I could do that. Wish you could do what, sir? I wish I could communicate to people like that on the street. And the, the, the point of that is the man is so full of Hebrew, he cannot communicate simply to a simple person. But that girl who did not know Hebrew, well, maybe she did, but she was able to have a conversation for five minutes or so to that man on the street, that person on the street. And so a sheep may fall into a muddle, but is not content to stay there. A hog is at home in the muddle. The average guy says, I got it. I see that. And so... Uh, here's the lesson he's trying to say the unsaved man are happy in the mud it's natural the unsaved man that's his that's his turf he likes it there he likes mud the hog likes mud but a sheep no and so uh, Titus 2 says this for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So the saved, he is really saying, the saved, not of the world, does not enjoy the mud. It doesn't, it's not, it's not conducive to him. That's not part of the nature now. It's a thing of the past, but he's a sheep that doesn't want to get dirty. A wife, along that line, a wife who is 85% faithful to her husband is not faithful at all. What's that all about? How does that connect to the Christians in their 20s getting into the, the things of the world now and enjoying it? Well, this thing about the wife is about faithfulness to Christ. How can a wife, 85% faithful to her husband, say she's faithful to her husband? It's 100% or not. And so he's saying, how can a Christian go to those places and do those things and uh, enjoy it and still claim to be a Christian? He says it doesn't make any sense. And so the wife and the husband who hears that, they say, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh, got it, got it, got it, I got it, I see it, I see it. And isn't 
isn't it important for people to see the truth? And sometimes these little statements, these little illustrations, help us to see it. We would say in today's words, in today's baseball lingo, home run. Home run, Mr. Havner, home run. He brought it home. Anybody can understand that. It's a home run. Score. <laughs> no such thing as a part-time uh, loyalty to Christ is what he's trying to say. Amen. Casual Christians know nothing about spiritual warfare, which is sadly true. The highest motive for obeying God is the desire to please him. Now turn to Philippians chapter 1. The highest desire or the highest motive for obeying God is the desire to please him. Come to Philippians chapter 1. Here's a good scripture that he may have thought about. I'm not sure, but I will attach that verse, this verse or two, to his quote. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live, verse 21, is Christ and to die is gain. Now this is a life that honors Christ. This is motivation, a highest motivation for a Christian. I think he is trying to express is that you desire to please him. And when a person has that attitude, that mindset, that heart, then really, as 1 John 4 says, his commandments are not grievous. <laughs> it's not a chore to, to live for the Lord anymore as if it's a bunch of things you put in your back and you carry it like a bag of, of bricks. It's not like that at all. It's more like I want to. It, it's just like I told, I told my wife today. Oh, I was so pooped up because of driving Mike's truck is making me tired driving his truck. No AC, rough, hard to steer, bouncy. It makes me tired. It just wears me out. Anyway, not a complaint, just an observation. <laughs> and then loading stuff up, tying it down, taking it home, untying, loading it, unloading, taking it upstairs. Of course, we had some strong boys to help, but uh, still I sit down, I said, honey, you know, if you didn't make me do this, I'd never do it. She said, what do you mean make you do it? I said, no, what I mean is, what I mean is, if you didn't bring it up, if you didn't go to Facebook Marketplace, find these things, I would never have done it on my own. That's what I mean. She said, oh. And then I'm looking at what I brought in, full-size couch, a love seat, and then another chair. I would never pay full price for these things, never would. The guy sold it to me, says he came from uh, Ashley Furniture. Well, Ashley Furniture is way up there, overpriced. I can understand the markup and I, I can maybe appreciate you know, whatever, but I'll never do that. And so here we have it. I'm sitting there in one of the chairs. Phyllis so I said, and I'm glad I got this for you. She said, I'm glad you got it for me too. I said, you know, um, I did it because I know you wanted it and I didn't want to do it within myself, but I did it for you. So I did something I didn't really want to do in my own flesh, in my own adult male mind, but I did it for somebody else and I felt good about it. I do a lot of things for her that I don't want to do. I wash dishes every day for my wife. You know who makes the most dishes, makes the biggest mess? Me. So she likes to do it, and I, I enjoy doing it, but I would not do it normally myself. Uh, before I got married, I didn't want to do dishes. In fact, I despise washing dishes. But after I got married, I began to learn to like it. I was forced to like it. But actually, it kind of has a point to all of that. For to me to live is Christ to die is gain. And uh, Vance Havner says, the highest, the highest motive for obeying God 
is the desire to please him. Amen. Just like a husband wants to please his wife. Amen. Just like a wife wants to please her husband. It is difficult, it's inconvenient, but it's not a pain. Once you get over the inconvenience part and you know you're doing it for somebody else, it becomes almost, oh yeah, good. And the Christian life is like that too. So it's not a matter of obeying rules and must do this, must do that because the church says so, or because my parents said so, because the past. No, no, it's not that at all. That's the wrong way of thinking about this. It's because the Lord saved you. You show your gratitude to him by living for him, honoring him with your life. And hopefully soon for a Christian, it becomes second nature. It becomes a routine. Not a, not a dry, boring, ho-hum, get used to it routine, but a routine that is just part of your life now, where it's not a pain anymore. And so, he being dead, yet speaking, that's, that's Abner. And so, um, I was going to get into some other quotes about the purpose of the Bible, but I think I'll stop here and continue next week. And so, um, I spend three on John Plowman. I'm going to spend two on the, these two on Vance Abner. I think you'll probably benefit from what he said because his, his like Spurgeon's, it is timeless. It's relevant for today. And we need to read more of those kind of old books mm -hmm. because they speak so much about life mm -hmm. and it transcends their generation. Such good writing from such good people that walk with the Lord and you would be wise to learn from them. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church tonight. Thank you for letting us pray together. Pray for those who are uh, sick. Raise them up to good health by this week. And we thank you, Father, for people who have been coming back to church. We ask you, Lord, to strengthen your people. And we ask you, Father, to help us most of all to have the right motivation to live for you. Thank you for loving us. We love you because you first loved us. And we pray that you help us to uh, each day try to honor Christ in something that we say or something that we do. Small things, routine things. And we've been blessing the people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.